thousands of people have mysteriously vanished in America's wilderness. Join us as we dive into the deep end of the unexplainable and try to piece together what happened. You are listening to Locations Unknown. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Locations Unknown. I'm your co-host, Joe Irado, and with me, as always, is a guy who never cries over spilled milk, Mike <laughs> Vandebogart. Uh, thank you, Joe, and thank you once again uh, to everyone who's tuned in to Locations Unknown. Just a couple uh, updates here before we get going. I've got a correction from our previous episode. Uh, once again, we have bear controversy. Um, <laughs> so I can't remember... I'm at a loss to the national park from our last episode. What was that? Uh, Mount Rainier. Um, you keep going. I'll look it up just because I we have all this stuff set up now. So I, I know can do the search. So I feel like um, we can get answers, but and not have to wait. On our last episode, yeah, it's uh, Grand Teton. Yeah, that one. Yeah. <laughs> so on our last episode, we made a comment about bears in the park. And it was a little bit misleading. Uh, we said that there were grizzly bears and brown bears in Grand Teton National Park. So uh, technically, while grizzly bears are brown bears, not all brown bears are grizzly bears. So generally, brown bears are considered to be those of the species that have access to coastal food resources. And grizzlies live further inland and typically don't have access to marine-derived uh, derived food. So just want to make that con- uh uh, correction, because we actually got a lot of comments about uh, when we said that. And oh, I think people or the people that care that much <laughs> were probably just listening to the show, waiting for us to talk about bears so they could get upset about it. Yeah, so I never <laughs> thought in my wildest dreams that we'd get so many comments about uh, bears. So uh, setting the record straight on that comment from our last episode. Here's the deal, though. We're learning a lot about bears <laughs> yeah, as a are. result of- <laughs> Of getting this stuff wrong, so yeah, that's that's the silver lining. We're learning a ton about bears. Yeah, so there's your daily information uh, on bears. So <laughs> we're going to start doing like a weekly bear update. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, <laughs> uh, just a couple of uh, Patreon shoutouts this episode: uh, Angie Walter, uh, Simona uh, Maya, and Catherine Hindmarsh. So. Uh, thank you so much for supporting the show. Uh, every dollar helps. Joe and I were just talking about our big plans for later this year to get an actual professional studio built out. So I can reclaim my office back a little bit. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> Get like all these curtains and stuff. Everywhere. I know it's, it's, this is turning into a studio. Yeah. Uh, so thank you. There's lots of ways you can help the show out. You can go to our Patreon page, become a supporter there. You can also go over to YouTube and become a YouTube uh, member of locations unknown where you get pretty much the same benefits. Uh, you get, uh, episodes of our shows ad free, um, you know, special icons and stuff. You yep. can go check that out. Yeah, go to YouTube, lick that subscribe button. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you can also buy stuff from our store. We've got hats, and we're going to get more stuff on there. And you can always, if you don't want to spend any money on the show, which would makes Joe and I sad, you can also <laughs> uh, just go out and, you know, uh, like us on all the platforms, uh, give us positive reviews. We we don't like the negative ones, um, so only positive. 
Uh, you can also call our – we have a phone number you can call. Yeah, I would rather have people, instead of give negative reviews, call us with their grievances yes. and leave messages. And then we will definitely respond. Oh, 100%. <laughs> so, yeah, let's let's stop responding to negative reviews, but we will respond to every single negative Voicemail. message. And yes. positive ones, too. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> the, the the phone number you can call will be listed in the show notes for this episode. Can, so. can we just read it off just because if people don't read the show notes? I'll scroll down. I'm going to scroll down. Okay, so and finally, this episode we're doing uh, tonight is actually a – Listener suggestion. Uh, so thank you to Michelle Foley for uh, suggesting this episode. Um, what platform did she suggest it on? Uh, she emailed us. All right. So I love that platform. Yes, email. <laughs> uh, so other than that, Joe is looking up our yeah, phone I don't number. know where it is. I, um, I wrote it down somewhere important so I wouldn't forget it. And you know what happened? You forgot it. I forgot where I wrote the thing down so I wouldn't forget it. Um, I can tell you right here. It is, uh, wow, 208-391-6913. Give him the wrong number. <laughs> 6913. All right. Make sure you call that number and you can give us all of your grievances and hatred. Yes. All right, everybody. Let's gear up and get out to explore locations unknown. December 2nd, 2014, an experienced outdoorsman from Milwaukee, Oregon, set out to hike Mount Hood National Forest. With no known plan and without notifying any friends or loved ones, this hiker was never seen again. Join us this week as we investigate the disappearance of Girin Kirk. Mount Hood National Forest. You ever read here Mount Hood National National Forest? I almost read it. <laughs> Mount Hood National Forest is 1.1 million acres, roughly the size of Glacier National Park. That, uh, that reminded me. Sorry. Uh, no, Ron, go ahead. Ron Burgundy. Just read what's on the prompter. <laughs> Especially because people are like, you just read from Wikipedia and stuff. It's like, and we we come out and we're like, yeah, we get our stuff from, well, not just there. We get it from the U.S. Forest Service and stuff. Well, it, it, it's like, you're just reading. I'm like, yeah, because I don't memorize all the stuff about Mount Hood. Yeah, and I mean, this episode, I actually have 30 sources 30? for this episode. Well, that's not enough if Wikipedia is one. <laughs> yeah, everyone's like, you're just reading. I'm like, well, I didn't memorize all the info about Mount Hood. Yeah, We right? have a different place every, every month. <laughs> All right. Sorry so, about that. Yep. It's in Oregon. Uh, it was first established as the Bull Run Forest Reserve in 1892. Over the following years, the area was renamed and merged with other forests and eventually was named Mount Hood National Forest in 1924. Uh, the forest sees about 4.4 million visitors per year, and that's as, two as of 2006. So it's one of the most popular national forests. And I think that obviously has to do with its proximity to Portland. Yeah. I believe it's... 
it's like an hour and a half drive. Yeah, and just, well, the people in the state of Washington are generally like an outgoing, like energetic people. Yeah. They do things outdoors. It's not a very, you know, dormant place. Yep. Uh, so here's some interesting facts about Oregon. Portland, Oregon has more breweries than any other city in the world with more than 60, which surprises me because I would have thought maybe we would have, but I think we just have bars. Yeah, I think... We I, don't make it, we just drink it. Yeah, I think I remember something like microbreweries were started in Portland. I, I believe that, but i probably wrong. Yeah, they're just normal breweries, but tinier. Yeah. In 1994, Oregon became the first U.S. state to legalize physician-assisted suicide. That, I didn't know, was yeah. a thing that could happen in the states. Yeah, I remember Dr. Kevorkian. Yeah. Yeah, that, I I remember in the 90s that being a big deal. Yeah, I, I knew the name. I didn't know that was, like, a real thing that was happening. Yeah, so. I think five states allow it now. That's crazy. Yep. All right. Oregon's residents own one-fourth of the country's total llama population. <laughs> Keep Portland weird. <laughs> it's against the law in Myrtle Creek to box with a kangaroo. That's awesome because that means it happened. There was a picture of a guy boxing a kangaroo when I found that. Oh, so actually, it may be not be awesome because was it like totally like a, like it, cockfighting type thing? It looked like, like a circus kind of thing. Oh, like so they're probably just like beating on kangaroos on. and stuff? Yeah. Oh, okay, I thought maybe it was like some drunk guy like punched somebody's in kangaroo. In theory, it sounds funny, but yeah. It well, it's like, like it was just... some guy who like got in a fight with a kangaroo, and they're like, well, that, we're going to make that illegal now. Yeah. So, yeah, it's not funny anymore, but <laughs> the concept is, but not if they're like hurting kangaroos for fun. Uh, Oregon and New Jersey are the only U.S. states without self-service gas stations. I hate that. I if you've ever gone to Jersey, I've never been to Oregon, and you can't pump your own gas. It's they don't weird. let you. Yeah. It's obnoxious. Uh, Springfield, Oregon is the real-life inspiration for the Simpsons' hometown. Now, that one, are you sure about this one? No, I'm sure real, like, Simpson diehard fans will Well, the that. thing is, I don't think they ever revealed what Springfield it was. No. Because I had a book on this, and they said they picked Springfield because it's such a common name. Yeah. And the whole play throughout the years is you don't know what city it is. So we're going to say it is, and All right, well, I'm sure. Ooh, call the number if you disagree. Yes. <laughs> tell us, tell <laughs> us if you think it is. Because there's the one episode where Marge is about to say her address, and she goes, uh, Springfield, Ohio, Maude. And Maude yeah. Flanders walked in, and she said it like that, so he didn't know if it was Ohio. All right. Uh, Oregon comes in at six for the most Bigfoot sightings in the U.S., Washington State comes in at number one. Crater Lake is the deepest lake in the U.S. and nearly 2,000 feet deep and is one of the 10 deepest lakes in the world. Uh, we did an episode of... Two episodes, two I episodes think, in Crater that, Lake. But the one that was on the History Channel, for our new listeners, we yes. were on the History Channel. Joe was on the History Channel. So, uh, on a case <laughs> that we did on Crater Lake. So, check that out. Um, Oregon is one of, the f one of five U.S. states that doesn't have a sales tax. That's interesting. They're pretty progressive. You think yeah. they'd have more taxes, but all right. Good for them. Uh, so the climate in Oregon, the Copen climate classification for Mount Hood National Forest is dry summer subtropical, or often referred to as Mediterranean. The average temperature is around 50 degrees. The warmest months on average are July at 64.6. Wow, it doesn't get warm there at all. No, it's, um, I mean... Little I know that's the average. <clears throat> it sure gets hot, but like that seems pretty low. Sorry, I just cleared my throat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we can't have any of that, Mike. We have to redo the whole episode. Um, no, it's uh, it's kind of like a temperate rainforest there, so it it's kind of damp on you know on the east side of the mountain, and I, there's a we have a little bit of bit on that farther down, but okay, yeah. 
So coldest months, January, obviously at 36 degrees. The highest recorded temperature was 107. The lowest was negative two. That's what's crazy. So it seemed with it being farther north, yeah, their lowest temperature is negative two. Yeah, like we had that like a week ago here. That seems like yeah. I mean they're they're closer to the ocean. Yeah, that's just uh, it's just wild. Yeah, I'm sure there's great reasoning for it. I'm just shocked by it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> the average precipitation is 68.8 inches per year, with most average precipitation in December at 11 inches, and the lowest average precipitation in July at seven. On average, Mount Hood National Forest gets 22.7 inches of snow, which with actually most is, of it falling in January. Yeah, not. I mean, compared to like here, uh, Milwaukee, we get like double that. But that I don't think takes into account maybe what they're getting on Mountain Hood. I mean, there's glaciers on the top. Oh, uh, so. yeah, because yeah, it, to sustain glacial growth, you have to have constant snowfall yeah. and no melting. So yeah, I wonder if they do. I wonder if they would exclude that in general. I'm trying to think of like the state of Colorado. Do they count the Rockies, or is it just like a certain height and below? Yeah, I don't know. We should do a Patreon episode where we figure that out. Let's do that next. <laughs> okay. <laughs> We're going to figure If you want to know the answer to if cumulative snowfall in a state includes mountain peaks, Probably. get a Patreon subscription. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting stuff yeah. ha- happening on I Patreon. mean, it's only a dollar. Yeah, would you pay a buck true. for that information? Probably not. Um, <laughs> okay. So the best time to visit is June through August. So the middle of the year months have very comfortable weather with an average high temperatures they're in the 60s and 70s. Uh, these months see the least precipitation with one to six days of precipitation per month. Oh, that's pretty good. So you have, like, yeah. a decent luck you're not going to get rained on if you're hiking. Yeah. Worst time to visit, December through February, to nobody's surprise. Yeah. The weather is too cold this time of year in Mount Hood National Forest to be enjoyable for warm-weather travelers. The average high during the season is 53 uh, and 44 degrees on average, it rains or snows a great amount, nine to twelve times per month. So, yep, yeah, we're not going there in uh, December. I, the guy in this episode went <laughs> went hiking there uh, during the month of December. So, oh, well, there you go. Yeah. So the terrain coming in at eleven thousand two hundred forty nine feet, Mount Hood, located within Mount Hood National Forest, is the highest point in Oregon and the fourth highest point in the Cascade Range. Uh, on the side, on the other, uh, let me, oh, I skipped one. I'm sorry. On one side of the mountain is a moist, temperate rainforest, which grows complete with moss and hangs off the tree branches with thick Douglas fir trees. So that's like when you see like the upper yeah. northwest, like super lush green. Uh, the other side is just super dry. So that's that rain shadow we always talk about. Yeah, and one thing uh, you uh, missed a bit is. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's fine. Uh, Mount Hood's and uh, they call it a potentially active stratovolcano, and a lot of people think it could erupt within the next 30 years. The odds are actually between 3 and 7%. Oh, wow. So, oh, yeah, I missed like two bullet points. I missed like <laughs> three. I'm sorry. Well, yeah, that's uh. So is that a high percentage? I have no clue. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love how confidently you didn't know. Yes. No I mean, clue. it sounds like, like 10%, but for like a mountain exploding yeah. is a lot of percent for me. Yeah, a lot of times, like I mean... anything over 1% is like, hey, it's a whole mountain that could just explode. Yeah, there was something, I think we when we did Yosemite, because they always talk about the super volcano there, there's like a one in a million chance over the next thousand years or something for that to, to blow. So, I I mean, without knowing yeah. anything about this, that, you know, 3 to 7%, I don't know. Yeah, 
It seems high. It does seem high. All right. Uh, if you disagree, call the phone number <laughs> and let us know. Uh, there are eight wilderness areas in the force, including Badger Creek, Bull of the Woods, Clackmas, Lower White River, Mark O. Hatfield, Mount Hood, Roaring River, and the Salmon Huckleberry Wilderness. Uh, it is home to 12 named glaciers or snowfields, which are almost exclusively above 6,000 feet uh, above the tree line or at tree line. Um, let's see here. Much of the forest in the area is heavy second or old growth areas. These dense coastal type rainforests can mask some of the terrain, which could cause problems for hikers who wander off trail. That is a big one for search yeah. and rescue. Cause if you get in that like fescue type stuff, like that's yep. just off, it's hard to search that stuff. We've yeah, had a lot of people talk about that. Even when I was hiking up in Olympic national park in Washington, it's the same kind of forest. It's very thick and dense and yeah, it would pose a lot of problems for, uh, any search and rescue that would yeah if you decide to, to go out, you go off trail like to look at something and get injured and yeah. fall down and can't move like it could be very hard to find you so some of the types of animal dangers in the area we have coyotes gray fox red fox black bears uh, while grizzly bears were once native to the area the last <laughs> grizzly bear recorded was killed in the late 1930s at Billy Meadows north of Enterprise in Wallow County so Wallowa I think Wallow Wallowa County. Yeah. Uh, so there are no, no grizzlies. grizzlies or brown bears. <laughs> Just black bears. Just black bears. And if you disagree, call the number. <laughs> uh, mountain lions, bobcats, there's elk and mule deer. So uh, pretty typical, you know, the, the black bears we talked about are not nearly as dangerous as the grizzlies. Still dangerous. I'm not saying they're not dangerous. You still got to take all the precautions, yeah. you know, putting your food in a, you know, hanging it in a tree and cooking downwind from camp and mm-hmm. And then as a, as a solo hiker, uh, mountain lions can be an issue. I know we've seen, it's rare, but we've seen those videos of like hikers or getting chased by or, one. Yeah, runners or that one guy that remember was just walking after him yeah. real, real slow and he's yelling at it. And obviously if you have little children, um, don't let them out of your sight because yes. a little toddler would be very easy prey for a mountain lion. Absolutely. So, so for some of the terrain, rock and ice falls at higher elevations are an issue. Um, outside of that, nothing too much. Um, if you're on the dry side, not a lot of coverage on the other side, there's a lot of that thick brush type stuff. So if you go off trail, it could cause a problem. I would say the, uh, search and rescue people that, uh, were doing the search for Kirk did mention that because the forest is so thick that it does pose a threat to hikers. If they go off trail, that it could be covering up some, you know, deep, uh, you know, some areas where you could fall. So, okay. uh, oh, like you might have growth going, but like the ground dropped out. So yeah. you got a step where you think ground is, and then it's a cliff or something. These like rock that. and ice falls are mainly just a threat to anyone trying to summit Mount Hood. Okay. If you're hiking in the forest, which is immense, you're not going to, you know, rock and ice falls. From my research, a lot of the national forests there, you've got terrain and elevations from like, the five six thousand f- foot area, kind of more rolling hills. Okay, uh, but there's still a lot of hazards that the search and rescue people said could be covered up by dense forests. So okay, yeah. Um, outside of that, just typical exposure stuff. So hypothermia. It is a colder climate, especially at night. Um, you can get up to hurricane force winds at higher elevations, and at the time of year he was out there, there are significant blizzard possibilities you know if there's a lot more precipitation those times of year yeah depending uh, on where you hiked yeah exactly so it's uh you have a lot of the worst factors that play against you surviving if there's an issue 
Uh, there is a lack of natural sh- shelter above 6,000 feet. So that's pretty crazy. 6,000 feet's the tree line here. Yeah, and I, I definitely looked this up because I was curious about how high you have to go um, before you lose that kind of natural protection. And it obviously, we've said this in other shows, it varies depending on where you are in the world. And it's all based on climate. And mm-hmm. I, what's the tree line in Colorado? It's higher than 6,000 yeah, feet. It's like 11,000 feet. Yeah. It's, it's real high up. And it's not like, if you've ever been in the mountains, it's not like you're at 5,999 feet, it's dense forest, yeah. 6,000, it's just barren. It it yeah. kind of like gradually Yeah, you'll see the trees get smaller. You'll start yep. seeing like right at the end, like really tiny baby trees. Like they just don't like have the shrubs right... And yeah, they don't have the right opportunity to grow large, essentially. Yeah, less oxygen, less moisture, whatever the conditions are to cause that. But yeah, it's pretty low on Mount Hood. Yeah, so with it being that low, um, when weather does come in, it can be... Very difficult, impossible to pass the conditions. There's the lightning issues. Maybe not so much in December, January time frame. But, I mean, if you get a heavy enough blizzard, you get thunder snow. So that's lightning in a snowstorm. Um, And lenticular clouds forming at the summit is an indication that severe weather is coming. Those are so cool. Some of those pictures of those, like, lenticular clouds, we'll we'll throw some of them up while we're we're going through. Yeah, it looks looks sweet. It looks like kind of like a, would you say, like a top upside down? Yes. Just sitting on the top of the mountain. Yes, or like uh, when they spin pizza on their finger, yeah, <laughs> like kind of like that. Yeah. So if you see one of those, uh, maybe call off the hike or the summit for that yes. day. Uh, or it's UFOs landing at the UFO base in Mount <laughs> yes. Hood. If you listen, what episode did we did? Uh, Urban legends and theories. Oh, Area Fifty One. Uh, it might be. I don't know. I don't remember. But they say that the cloud is a cover for docking space stations coming in. I never thought of that. Maybe Mount Hood is a giant alien dock. It's it, yep. Could be. Could be. Could be. Prove us wrong. <laughs> so difficulty in general, and uh, I'll throw this up here. I pulled up the all trails, and this is the the trail he was on, uh, supposedly, and we'll get into that. But they're saying that it is a moderate difficulty. It's 1.4 miles, uh, moderately trafficked in and out. So it's not very hard to do. Elevation gains at 95 feet. Yeah. So it's fairly simple to do. Now, that is not withholding the fact that it could be snowing that day. So if he's snowshoeing or something, uh, that would obviously make it more difficult. The terrain in general just seemed pretty, pretty, you know, flat. Exactly. So like the only thing to make it hard is if you go like a foot of snow, you're going to, you got to walk through that. That can make it difficult. So, oh, you know, it was bad. I was looking at the stream and I was looking at my mouse on that screen and I'm like, how come it's not working? (laughs) So, all right, I got it back to there. Um, so you're not super difficult, again, barring the weather at the time of the year. So yeah. off of that, let's go into his character profile. You want to pick that one up, Mike? Sure. All right. Um, so like I said, his name is Garen Kirk. Uh, date of birth or uh, age at the time he went missing was 31. He uh, So Joe mentioned in the kind of the show summary that uh, he went missing on December 2nd. So actually his family stated that December 2nd was the last time they had seen him. He left to go on this mini camping trip in the forest on December 3rd of 2014. And he was a, a male. He was six foot one, 180 pounds. He had uh, blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, his clothing he was last seen in was unknown, but his brother said he was kind of in like drab uh, colored clothing. It sounded like he did have um, the appropriate gear. He had, you know, to in the official reports I read that 
the police couldn't determine what he had with him, but his brother made it sound like he had the appropriate gear to hike in that, or at least camp in that environment. So uh, a little bit about Kirk's personality. Uh, He was married for several years, but um, him and his wife were divorced. They shared joint custody of a five-year-old daughter. And according to friends and family, and everything I read about him, he was incredibly well-liked, seemed like a really nice guy. They have a a Facebook page dedicated to him, and I spent probably an over a good hour reading through all the comments of family and friends and just an overwhelming outpouring of, uh, you know, sadness for his disappearance. And a lot of people are sharing pictures about, uh, you know, how, you know, all the cool stuff he did. And he seemed like a really nice guy. Apparently he really um, cared for his daughter and uh, no indication of any kinds of issues um, you know, with like f- his family life, he just, you know, all around seemed like a really nice, well-liked guy. Okay. Um, so he, uh, grew up. So this was funny. I was telling Joe before we started, uh, when I was starting the research, this case, I saw that he was from Milwaukee. <laughs> and when I read the uh, stories about him, it's actually Milwaukee, Oregon, and they spell it a little different than our Milwaukee at the end. It's well, they I- spell it wrong. Yeah. They spell it wrong. <laughs> um, so he's from Milwaukee, Oregon. He lived in Arizona for a number of years where he worked as an admissions officer at the University of Phoenix. He then decided to move back to Oregon to study business at uh, the Portland Community College. So from all accounts, he was an experienced outdoorsman. He often took solo camping trips into um, this area. Uh, one, One note, though, his family and friends did mention that uh, it was very normally every trip he took, he would um, he would tell somebody or multiple people what his plan was. Like, here's where I'm going, um, here's when I'll be back. Uh, you know, all those kinds of details. So in this trip, he didn't tell anyone. I I think they he they knew he was going to Mount Hood National Forest, but beyond that, they no one had any clue where he was going. And this will factor into the start of the search and rescue because um, it's really hard if you report someone missing and you say he was heading to Fort Hood or Fort Hood, Mount Hood National Forest. That's a million uh, size of Glacier National Park. That's like half the size of the state. Yeah. I mean, you would you could never start a search and rescue operation with that limited information. So uh, I'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so experience in this location, he grew up near the national forest. He, he went camping there multiple times a year. Um, I, I'm going to just assume and say it's safe to say that he was, uh, experienced in camping in this type of environment. Um, now we don't know if he always went in December or if he normally went in the summer. So, because obviously a trip in July is going to be a lot different than going in December. Yeah, entirely different set of entirely gear. Entirely different, yeah. All the things. So um, that's a little bit about uh, uh, Kirk as a person. Now, before we jump into the timeline, we actually need to uh, take a moment to listen to this episode's uh, sponsor. Euvoia, a Greek word meaning having beautiful thoughts and a well-balanced mind. A balanced mind and body bring inner strength and self-confidence to power your best self. Uvoya Wellness, 
spelled E-U-V-O-I-A Wellness, is created to help you be your best self. All of our products are made using full-spectrum CBD, meaning we use all the therapeutic parts of the hemp plant. If you have areas of discomfort or pain, our CBD relief roll-on is perfect for getting deep into your sore joints and muscles. A good night's sleep is vital to good health. Our sleep oil gives you better REM sleep and more refreshed mornings, while our regular full-spectrum oils are truly the liquid gold you need for your daily routine, making your days more focused and less stressful. Go to Uvoia Wellness, E-U-V-O-I-A wellness.com, and find the natural solution for your wellness needs. That's E-U-V-O-I-A wellness.com, and use promo code wellness at checkout for 15% off your purchase. I actually was just looking up Milwaukee. Oh. It's named after our Milwaukee. Oh, is it? Yeah, but it was named that way before the, like, approved spelling was corrected. So they, yeah. like, spelled it the way, and then they changed the spelling on them. That's And funny. then ours changed. It was something weird like that. Well, uh, thank you again to Yavoya Wellness for uh, sponsoring uh, this episode. That Milwaukee fact comes from Yavoya Wellness. <laughs> <laughs> All right, going <clears> to <throat> jump right into the timeline here. So... December 3rd, 2014, it was a Wednesday. Like I said, he actually was last seen by his family on uh, December 2nd, 2014. Uh, Garen Kirk left uh, his home to go hike in the Mount Hood National Forest with plans to return on December 6th, which would have been a Saturday. Law enforcement believes that Kirk arrived at the Frog Lake uh, Snow Park sometime between noon and 1 p.m. Uh, family members said that the 31-year-old uh, didn't leave word about exactly where he planned to camp uh, when he left on December 3rd. And like I said, that's a big issue when you're trying to get a search and rescue mission going, mm-hmm. uh, not knowing a, you know, a, a starting point. Uh, family members also said they didn't know whether uh, he had enough food and supplies to stay in the woods so long, uh, and multiple calls to him went to voicemail. So law enforcement did speculate that he likely had cold-weather gear, but they were never able to uh, confirm that, and uh, as we'll we'll learn later on, they never found any of his gear. That sounds like if they're speculating that they probably talked to family, and I saw in the notes that the family said he was an avid outdoorsman. Yeah, so they probably said he's got this stuff. Yeah, and which, his brother said that too, which leads me to believe he probably was prepared decently yeah. to go out. Yeah, and this obviously probably factors into his disappearance quite a bit. His brother Logan Kirk. Um, said that he went missing in some pretty bad weather. So, uh, obviously, um, the the weather situation is going to play a major factor in in probably what happened to him. So, let's fast forward now. It's December 7th, 2014, which is a Sunday. Uh, Kirk's sister files a missing persons report. So, he theoretically has been in the woods since about one to uh, noon to 1 o'clock, on the 3rd, doesn't get reported missing until December 7th. You know, several days now, stuck out in the wilderness, uh, you know, in not not ideal conditions. So his brother said there was some pretty bad weather in the area, so you, assuming lots of snow, um, not not great. The, the odds of survival, you know, finding him alive have already gone down tremendously just from the, the lag in time. Yeah, and cold weather gear doesn't necessarily mean snow gear. Yeah. So, like, he may be able to get out to where he is. If he gets caught in a storm, he could probably hunker down, but movement is very, very difficult. Yeah, and, I mean, as soon as that stuff gets wet, uh, it's going to be oh. incredibly hard to dry, keep, 
you know, get it dry. Absolutely. I don't know how you would. Yeah. So uh, December 8th, 2014 is a Monday. The official search and rescue uh, for Kirk didn't kick off until Monday because, like I said, they didn't have a point to commence the search. Uh, Then on Monday, a break in the case happened. Kirk's gold Pontiac Grand Am was found in the parking lot at the Frog Lake campground off of US-26. And this car was actually found by family members, not law enforcement or search and rescue members. So, uh, so it was in the parking lot? It was in the parking lot of... All right, yeah, I got it right here. Yeah. So so they think he was on this trail. I zoomed in there before because I know that... Well, they up, don't know... His car was there. His car was there. They don't know... So I'll zoom out and see if there's like... Yeah. There's like... Look, at there's no parking anywhere else in that area. So Or like... There's a creek up here. So, like, that's, like, if, if you're thinking, okay, he parked here, maybe went somewhere else. Yeah. I'm not initially seeing anywhere else unless he hitched a ride to, like, down here, but why? Well, there were other trails in the area. Um, there's, he could have gone up to, uh, like, coming off this parking lower lot, there's a lot of trails. Down. Yeah, there's other ways. So, okay, in, in our show notes, there's a screenshot you don't have to show it on the screen but you can just look at it there there's other trails out of there so he could have gone other places but um okay yeah and and like we said he didn't tell anyone what what he was going to do so there's no uh the search and rescue team obviously know where his car is so that's that's where they're going to start and fan out from there sure and uh so like i said his car was found by a family member uh, so with the discovery of the car, the search and rescue teams focused on the heavily wooded areas nearby. Law enforcement was able was also able to ping his cell phone and locate it east of uh, Frog Lake, heading in a southwest direction. So this is interesting. I don't know from the research I did if they, when they say they pinged his cell phone, if they were actually able to send a signal to it. And well, they said it's heading south. So east southwest. of Frog Lake. Southwest. So there's east of Frog Lake, but heading southwest. Yeah. So he was on this side, but heading, like, down that way. Yeah. Okay. So, and like I said, I I never, I couldn't find, it, you know, what they meant by ping a cell phone. So does that mean they went and got records from the, the cell, cellular company? My and- guess is if it hit enough towers, you can triangulate it. So his cell phone was... When they say it's, I've always heard it as pinging a tower, meaning it connected. It's talking to a yeah. tower, which so that's interesting. Because if they're able to say the direction, they he was probably enough around enough cell phone towers that they triangulated yeah. his position. So, uh, yeah, so they were able to actually find his cell phone, like physically find it, and uh, due so due to the phone being located in Clackamas County, the Wasco County Sheriff's Office assumed command of the search and rescue operation at this point, and. A uh, couple couple comments I have on this. So it, it's interesting that family were trying to call him, and it was going straight to voicemail, but they were able to ping the location of the cell phone. So does that mean this ping happened and then the phone died? That My guess is they went into past records yeah. to get his location then probably died, especially being in cold weather. Batteries yeah. go a lot faster. Oh, yeah, and I can see there's a ton of logging roads you can see on here too. I just put it up on the screen, so... Yeah, he could have gone on either trails or any either those roads, and you can see how thick, thickly wooded it is. How, yeah, even, how hard that would be to do a search. Yeah, the and parts from that the were air. cut out were already growing back in. Yeah, 
I'm assuming those are log like yeah, squares that, they log. That's what I assume too. They're too yeah. they're right on either side of the road in like perfect squares. So that's yeah. probably them <laughs> doing Or that. it's the alien landing sites. That that could be the exhaust ports <laughs> for the Mount Hood landing and launch site. So, uh, like we said, the search kicked off on December 8th, and it went. There's conflicting reports online about how long it went. I read some things that said it went nine days, others that said eight days. I'm going to go with eight days, so uh, December 8th through December 15th, so that's a Monday to Monday. Uh, pretty large search and rescue operation, and in a video we'll, we'll probably show a few minutes of in a second, um, his brother said that it was one of the largest search and rescue operations in uh, Oregon history. And in all, the following organizations helped the Pacific Northwest Search and Rescue, Mountain Wave Emergency Communications, Clackamas County Sheriff's Search and Rescue, uh, Multima County Search and Rescue, Clickitat County Search Office, uh, Lake County Search and Rescue, Wallowa County Sheriff's Search and Rescue, Clatsop. County Sheriff's Office, Salvation Army, Trauma Intervention Program, a business, businesses in Government Cat, uh, Zigzag Welches in Sandy, Jeez. Bud's Towing of Oregon City, and Milwaukee Presbyterian Church. So we had a lot of people out Holy in the cow. field searching. That's like the entire town. Yeah. Uh, so, Joe, why don't you play this quick little video, maybe just a minute or two, Okay. so we can hear his brother talking. Hey, this is Jesse. I'm here with uh, Logan. And Elvon, and uh, you want to tell them why we're out here? We're out here looking for my brother in the Mount Hood wilderness. He's been missing for 13 days now. Um, and search and rescue was out here. Yeah, search and rescue came out, and they did a really excellent job. Uh, it was one of the largest searches in Oregon's history. Uh, we had, at one point, we had almost 200 searchers out here doing very thorough grid searching of the woods, but we still have. Only the only sign of my brother has been his car in the parking lot of the Frog Lake. Look at how thick that is. Yeah. Okay, so we're here at Clear Lake with Elvon. Elvon's got. It's beautiful. Elvon's got the glasses. The goggles. The goggles. <laughs> he's got the drone, and uh, so we're out here. We're still looking. Snow cover and, doesn't um, seem too bad. This is 13 days later. He's we're like, using yeah. the drone to get the overhead, or the overhead view of the whole lake that we can't see with our regular eyes, and then it all gets uploaded to the computers over there. So uh, here we go. All right, so I'll pause it here. This so has a GoPro camera. Based to- on uh, just looking at the video, and if you're watching online, you can see it. Uh, if there was a storm. Based on the cold weather, it doesn't seem like the storm caused a lot of snow cover issues. Yeah. So, like, snow cover wasn't too bad. Obviously, it's cold. They're bundled up. They're with cars. They're cold out there. So, it's not a cakewalk of an environment to be in. But I wouldn't say snow cover would have kept him from traveling. That's not deep enough to really cause an issue for travel. Now, you have another video. Yeah. So, uh, the actual drone footage. Yeah. This doesn't have any audio. So, we'll just, but you can talk. I'll play. uh, Yeah. For anyone that's watching this on YouTube, this is an example of some of the uh, search and rescue video that they had from the air. And what the family was doing was they were getting this video and they were uploading it to, I think this is on Vimeo, but they were asking the general public to, to watch these videos over and over again and sit there and see if they can find anything that's out of the ordinary that might, you know, lead someone to think that 
they've found his tracks or maybe a piece of gear or anything. But you can just get a sense of how hard it is to, you know, how search. How it is and how, like, you can't determine yeah. what's on the ground. We've always talked about, like, search and rescue missions and, like, oh, they've got helicopters and infrared. And, and it, you know, I've never – I've probably seen video from searches before, but um, it's a lot harder than you think to find something. I mean – yeah. It helps that it's snowed out, so if they have, like, different colored gear, you could that would stand out. Yeah, but, you could see, like, a blue or a red or a yellow. I mean, look at all those trees that you can't see under. Yeah, if he's right there, yeah. you're not going to find him. You're going to go right over him. Yep. So it's just kind of a cool uh, video that the family posted to, you know, get the public to try and help them um, in the search. That's actually a really smart idea. Like, yeah. You get so many of these people on the internet. Like, talk about, like, computing power, if you will. Yeah. You have... Uh, I'm going to upload this video. Maybe 100,000 people are looking at it. That's 100,000 people that might pick up on like a a single pixel that looks off, mention something on Reddit, and then all of a sudden you have those 100,000 people focusing on that one thing. Yeah, and people were actually doing that with this video. I didn't save any of the pictures, but um, people are actually like highlighting like certain spots where they thought like maybe they saw some tracks or, you know, anything like that. But yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking for a needle in the haystack and... Um, you know, think about how hard it is for, you know, a searcher in a helicopter that's super loud and shaking all around. Yeah, not and, even this low. And it's cold out and they're, you know, they're looking, they're sticking their heads out windows, like looking at the ground. I mean, it's hard. I mean, I, I've never really thought about it in that perspective, but, you know, it's amazing when they find people, but man, is it, you know, it's yeah. tough. It's It's got to be absolutely <laughs> tough. That's wild. Yeah, so okay, uh, some cool little videos. So, like we said, a lot of people involved, almost 200 searchers and volunteers. Uh, the SAR operation focused on the areas around Fog and, uh, and Twin Lakes. The SAR operation included dog teams and surveillance aircraft with heat-detecting equipment, like we said. Um, the weather during the search was mostly damp and slightly above freezing with unusually low snow levels for this time of year. So you can see that in the video from... Um, his brother. Mm-hmm. So December 16th, now 2014, it's a Tuesday. After more than a week of combing the southern flank of Mount Hood, uh, Wasco County Sheriff Sergeant Scott Williams said the search for missing Milwaukee man has been called off. He goes on to say it's been a long nine days. He said the hunt for uh, Gear and Kirk 31 uh, ended that Monday. Uh, it's a hu- He goes on to say it's a huge traffic area, and we found a lot of little things like a tent pole, but there was no way to tie them to Kirk. Uh, he goes on to say, we found absolutely no evidence that we can contribute to him. We have no n- known direction of travel from this parking lot. It's an unknown what his intentions were or what gear he had with him. So that's really tough for searchers. I mean, obviously they, they're going to start his car and they're just going to do, you know, fan out and grid, a grid pattern. Yeah. Uh, it's, you know, for a week they did that. And it's tough though. You don't know what you know. Did he did he get a ride from somebody to another part of the forest? Did he, you know, he was a real fit guy. Like, did he just hike thirty miles in one direction down one of those logging roads or a trail and yeah. completely go out of the search area? Possible. Yeah, I'd love to know what even like made him decide to go out because it seemed like it was more spur of the moment. Yeah, and it, it's strange because he normally tells everyone. Uh, what his plans are. And this time, the one time he doesn't do that, he never seen again. So that, that's weird to me. 
Okay. Um, so, all right. Yeah, I'm, I'm starting to think things. Yes. So I'm not. No, I'm gonna. You you keep going. So, uh, interesting little fact here that came about in July 13 of 2019. Now, I'll uh, preface this that it's not been confirmed, um, you know, to be anybody yet. But uh, this information I found on a government U.S. government website called NameUs.gov. It it's basically a website for law enforcement agencies to upload missing persons information and things like that. And uh, this information was submitted by the Oregon State Police Medical Examiner's Office. So the remains of an adult pre-40 uh, with an estimated height of 5'8 to 6'10 were found in a rural location near the Twin Lakes Trail in Wasco County, Oregon. The remains were not recognizable and only included partial skeletal parts. So uh, I have a little picture here in our show notes. Um, it's not, it's north of the Frog Lake campground. Okay. But it's not that far. That, uh, that Twin Lakes hiking trail? Yeah, so thing? Twin Lakes hiking trail. Uh, right. So go up. Let me just make sure it's thrown up on the screen here. Okay. Yeah, so go so so, right. So right around up a little north of that spot. So the, that. This bend? Yeah, maybe that's too far. It's closer to that. Oh, okay. Yeah, is. I see. The, okay. But so, yeah, in this general area is where um, they found these skeletal remains of a pre-40 adult. Um, you know, five foot eight to six foot ten is a pretty big range in height, but um, I mean, it's kind of coincidental that he went missing in this location, and then they found skeletal remains. Um, so that was the last update from that website on these remains. So there's there's been no further updates. I I would assume there's some form of identification they can run. To yeah, that was just actually. You know what that is? That's just north of the parking lot. Yeah. Holy cow! Yeah, that's this is where the trail starts right here. So, so that was, we're not saying it's him, and it's obviously this happened a few years ago. So, uh, you would think that by between then and now they would have identified whose remains that were, but maybe the remains were so. Uh, well, they could have weathered. Got, they could have got DNA. I would assume. I don't know. I don't know. You think, I, I'm not an expert at this, so I, I shouldn't assume. Yeah. So <laughs> it's just an interesting little sidebar um, about uh, this case. So before we go into theories, Joe, I wanted to talk a little bit more about. So anyone who's into these cases of people going missing in the wilderness knows that there's like hot spots around the country. And I'm not going to try and go, you know, missing 401, like conspiracy theory stuff. But mm-hmm. there's just areas of the country where a lot of people go missing, you know, like Yosemite um, spots in Washington. Uh, obviously, the Mount Hood area, there's a ton of disappearances. Um, so this information comes from the Oregon Office of Emergency Management. And this kind of shocked me a little bit. Um, there's still over 189 men and 51 women officially missing after venturing out into the Oregon wilderness. And I believe this goes back to 1997. So of, and they go on to say of those who go missing in the Oregon wilderness, 89% are found, 8% are, are dead or are found dead and 2% remain missing. So I did a little back of the napkin math there. 
So to extrapolate that, that means over 12,000 people have gone missing in the Oregon wilderness since 1997, um, and roughly 960 of them have died. And obviously, what is that, 89 plus 51, 240 are still currently missing. So um, that is... Uh, that's a little, that's a little puzzling. I mean, it's, it's a large area. It's vast. It's a million square acres. Mm-hmm. Like we said, it's the size of uh, uh glacier national park, but that just kind of puts in the pers- some perspective. There's a lot of people that go missing in this area every, every year. And obviously when you have four or 5 million people visiting the forest every year, you're going to have this kind of, you know, stuff going on. Um, I just wanted to highlight two interesting other cases in this area uh, that kind of stood out. So, um, and then we'll get into theories. All right. Uh, so the first disappearance. Um, I'm gonna. I'm really sorry about this name. He was uh, uh, Damien Zhu. He was a University of Oregon mathematics pr- professor. Uh, failed to return after walking into the Willamette National Forest nine miles east of um, where our next person went missing. So the Willamette Forest is south of Mount Hood National Forest. Not that far south. It's definitely you could drive there from Mount Hood. And uh, he, he was in his 50s. He went on a day hike carrying a water bottle and a guidebook. He wore lightweight clothes despite the lofty 4,500 uh, feet elevation and lateness of the season. He went missing in November of 2007. Part of his guidebook was found by another hiker in the French Pete Creek drainage area um, one and a half weeks after he was reported missing. And winter storms forced the suspension of the search for him on November 18th, and nothing more has been heard of him. So real strange case there. Another guy that went missing, his name was James Jake Dutton. Uh, Dutton was a 5'10", 180-pound Lane Community College graduate, uh, left his 1998 Nissan Frontier pickup at a U.S. Forest Service trailhead near Cougar Reservoir in June 15, 2012. Uh, he was an unmarried former uh, Coast Guardsman who stayed fit by hiking and riding bicycles. He carried a backpack and was believed to be heading towards the Three Sisters Wilderness Boundary. Dutton had plans to return to his truck June 18th. According to the trailhead pass he signed, he was never seen again either. So in this case, we've got... Uh, a trained military person, you know, veteran who is very fit and obviously, you know, experienced in this area went missing without a sight as well. So, um, just some interesting sidebar to this case. I'll, I'll end the timeline section with just, uh, a couple, uh, tips from people that have been doing searches in the Oregon wilderness. So the first one, uh, like these are people who are, they're search in, and rescue, like, hey, rescue you're going to come out here. Here's what you need to know. Yeah. Okay. So uh, the first comment comes from Mary King, who uh, is a, cor- a search and rescue coordinator in the Benton County uh, search and rescue team. Uh, she says, surviving in the backcountry after straying off trail often is a matter of knowing how to read a map, a compass, or a GPS unit. And many of, and many who have, ha- have those tools aren't proficient with them, uh, said Mary, who conducts about 20 searches a year. Many who fail to survive have poor fire building skills, are unable to keep warm and warm and dry, and didn't bring extra food and water. She said. Uh, another 
guy, George uh, Kleinbaum, a search and rescue coordinator for the Oregon Office of Emergency, Emergency Management, said, best advice for people planning a backcountry excursion is prepare for the worst and let somebody know where you're going and when you plan to return. Amen to that. Number we, one. We say that every... Every episode. Uh, every episode. So that's the story of Kirk. We'll jump right into theories. I, I have to go back to one thing because I'm sure people are like, Chomping at their fingernails. Oh no! I don't think your twelve thousand number is correct. <laughs> twelve thousand. Said twelve thousand people have gone missing since nineteen ninety six. Yeah, but eighty nine percent are found. So like twelve thousand. Oh, like get lost, get lost, and okay. have to be found. Okay, okay. <laughs> I apologize. I didn't. I should have. I, no, I probably didn't listen because I was clicking on a lot of stuff. Yeah. But you're saying, and like it hit me after, and I'm like, that's. Really high. <laughs> like they haven't found that many people. Yeah. Okay. So, I, I glazed over the found part. Okay. Yeah. So the the Oregon Office of Emergency Management said of those who go missing, eighty nine percent are found. Okay. Eight okay. percent are found dead. Yeah, and two percent remain missing. Okay. I'm like, if twelve thousand, we'd have way more shows. Well, the Alaska we Triangle. Would, we would go to Mount Hood National yeah, right. Forest, and we would become <laughs> experts in the area and only cover people that go missing there. So, I mean, the Alaska Triangle, how many, weren't there like 10,000 that have? It was like 18,000, but it was 18, like 000. since like the 40s or something. Yeah, and that's like the, the whole state. Texas. Yeah, exactly. It's the whole state, and yeah. it's like in an area that makes sense because it's like, hey, uh, nobody goes here ever at all, ever. Yeah. And if you go missing, we're not even going to look for you. So, just to <laughs> clarify once more, okay. <laughs> I said 12,000 people have gone missing over that time period. 89% of those 12,000 have been found okay. alive. I mean, that's still a lot. That's still a lot. Of, that's, it was just way more shocking if they weren't found. <laughs> no, because, yeah, so I, I apologize for not. No, no, you, it's possible. You did it right, and I heard it wrong. No, so. I, I, we'll read it, I read it the way uh, I had it wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But, uh, yeah, good good call because that would have uh, – I could, uh, I or may, the... maybe uh, we would have maybe gotten angry phone calls. Maybe. <laughs> okay. Well, if you were going to angry phone call, do it. Right. So uh, as far as official theories, he law enforcement and family presume he's dead, mm -hmm. obviously, at this point. Um, I didn't find any concrete theories, like actual statements like, oh, we think he fell or this or that. Um. And the family, you know, throughout looking through that Facebook page and reading, you know, listening to other stuff, there was not, I don't know that law enforcement is going to make a definitive statement of what they think happened because they didn't find remains. There's like no evidence to even point to anything other no, than No, they didn't even know where here. he was going. That's what I'm saying. Like his car's there. Like yeah. you could go crazy and start assuming like maybe someone else drove it there to like, you know, make it seem like he went there. So I can go into my... My theories. Unless two years. You wanna, okay. Two years because I, I, I'm going to have some real ones, but I had some crazy ones too. Okay, I like the crazy. Yep. So I'm just going to run through just a couple theories and how likely I think they might be. So I think one of the most likely is hypothermia and exposure due to the bad weather he was hiking in. Um, I think that's very likely. Maybe like on trail still, but succumb, succumb to the elements? Similar or? to maybe a Kian in our last episode, he maybe went off trail and uh, out of the search zone. I think uh, the fact that he was there in December, it gets cold, and there was a storm rolling through. So even if he had warm weather gear, yeah. when I was hiking in at Mount Rainier, I had waterproof gear, like 
Well, imagine um, imagine this along that same theory. Yeah. If he already set up camp and went to go get water or something, and I think what people don't get is in thick, lush forest like that. Yeah. Excuse me. Even in winter, you could go 30 feet off trail and turn around and not be able to find your way back. Yeah. When it's that thick. Like when they talk about going off trail, it's not like he went a mile off trail and couldn't find his back, way back. Sometimes when you're on a trail, when you turn around and look back at the same trail you've been walking on, yeah. it looks entirely different. Well, and especially forwards if, and backwards. If there's a major storm going on. Yeah. I'm like, but I even mean, besides that, like yeah. we've been on trails and you turn on, you're like, wow, that looks nothing like we, we just walked up there, but it looks different. I've gotten turned around in northern Wisconsin in the Nicolay National Forest, uh, even walking down service roads, let they crisscross and yeah. loop around, and you know you get turned around. Um, so yeah, I think that uh, doesn't make me feel good about going on hiking trips with you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, well. Um, so yeah, I think uh, I think hypothermia and exposure is a, a very likely possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, due to the the time of year he went, there was a major storm rolling through. Um, like I was telling, I was just saying I went hiking on Mount Rainier and I had actual rain gear that was like supposed to be rated for, you know, whatever they rate rain gear for (laughs) not the rain, not getting you wet. (laughs) Yeah. And for like an hour I was dry and then I was soaked like, cause it was like, is that torrential? It was torrential sideways rain. And once the oh, it's only rated from down on yeah, you, not right. sideways at you. And once you, once that stuff gets wet, it in yeah. that kind of environment, it's it's impossible useless. to dry out. Yeah, yeah. It's I threw it. I threw it in a dry sack and didn't wear it again until the next hiking trip. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's the, I think uh, the next theory is an accident due to a fall. Um, I said a less likelihood of this happening just because. Um, the area, so like we don't know where he hiked. So I have to go off the assumption that this happened somewhere in the Frog Lake area. If if he was trying to summit Mount Hood, I would say yeah, an accident to fall very likely. But the fact that he was at you know Frog Lake, which if you look at this entire area, it looks pretty flat. Now I'm, we probably have listeners who've been in this part, and they'll be like, "No, it's not flat. It's rolling." And mm-hmm. but for someone experienced, like. I, I, I'm going to say a lower likelihood of dying or getting injured from a fall. Um, yeah. Well, like, there you go. It's 3d. Yeah. That's is there's no cliffs or mountains, right? It's I kind mean, of like rolling foothills. Yeah. They're, I mean, they're logging the area. Yeah. So it's pretty flat. So does that mean he went off trail and fell down, you know, and hit his head on a tree or something? hundred percent could have happened. Yeah. But I'm just saying that maybe is less likely. Um, as far as animal attack, obviously there's black bears and mountain lions in this area. Could some strange thing happen and he was attacked by a black bear? Possible. But in past episodes, we've oh, gone... And they should be hibernating. Yeah, it's December. And we've gone over in past episodes and we actually took some flack from people because we they, they said we were kind of being nonchalant about black bears. But In one of our daily lessons about bears and what we get wrong. <laughs> it's hilarious. Um <laughs> But the, the evidence and the data that I found on bear attacks in the United States, just based on how many encounters people have with bears versus how many people get attacked by bears, is very low. Um, so, and at this time of the year in December, uh, I, I think the likelihood of him 
you know, getting injured or being killed by an animal is very low. Yeah, I agree. Um, one area that I think there is a better chance, and when I was doing this episode, I didn't think about the time of year, so this might be less likely based on it being December, but foul play. So uh, I found some stats from a website about um, crime in the Mount Hood area, and it does have an elevated level of criminal activity. Um, there's also several public groups that have the purpose to stamp out drug use and sales in the Mount Hood area, and one of them is actually called Mount Hood Coalition Against Drug Crime. Uh, and also I did, doing a simple Google search like Mount Hood National Forest Crime, there's actually quite a few articles about uh, law enforcement finding bodies of people who've been shot. Oh, so, so like they'll murder and then dump bodies some, out there? or they Yeah, or they were involved in some kind of criminal activity in the forest and it went wrong or went south real fast. So, okay. Um, I'm just saying. Yeah, I wonder if they have a lot of illegal grows, kind of like the Emerald Triangle and that whole area. Yeah, I mean, in December, you're not going to have anybody yeah. growing anything, but uh, it doesn't mean that there's not people out there doing drug transactions. That doesn't say that if it's a criminal activity area, who knows? Yeah, and I mean, we probably there are probably these locals that are listening that are going to call say, the, call the number. You call let the us number. know. I'm just going off of uh, some crime stats that I saw. I'm not saying that this is like the, you know, like it's a theory. It's a theory. So could he have? He's alone. Uh, maybe somebody was doing a, a drug transaction in the Frog Lake campground parking lot at night and he happened to see it and they, uh, you know, this is a theory we've had in some other cases like Paul Fugate uh, mm-hmm. that he came across an illegal drug operation or something. So I'm not saying that it did or didn't happen. I'm just saying that could be a potential theory. Um, the final theory I just want to touch on that I don't, think there's a likelihood of is mental distress or suicide. Um, and I'm obviously can only base this on what I've read. Uh, it seemed like everything about him in his personal life, he, he seemed like a really happy guy, loved his daughter, his family and friends like loved him, said he was a great guy, like awesome to be around. There was no indication that I got that he was suicidal. And like we always say, that's not, doesn't mean Somebody's not going through, you know, tough times if they don't outwardly show it. But sure. I didn't see anything. Law enforcement and all the the sources, the th- dozens of sources I read for this episode, nothing mentioned that is a possible explanation for why he went out there. Yeah, and they deal with that real time with other people. So I think they, when you're dealing with people who maybe see those types of things occur a lot, they yep. get an indication and in profiles that they probably get a hunch about, oh, this yeah. person is leaning that way or not. And we've seen that before where people said, oh, maybe, or maybe kind of this. And there's people that's like basically, no, they were not, you know, they still had connections with family, things like that. Yeah, and a lot of times law enforcement will make a comment about um, their mental, um, you know, state at the time they went missing. And that didn't come up at all. It doesn't mean that's not what he did. So. Obviously, I think my number one theory is probably hypothermia and exposure due to him going out in bad weather in December in the Mount Hood area. What do you think? I uh, I would agree with that. Honestly, I think he succumbed, succumbed to the elements. My my theory, just kind of even, I I refined it while you were talking. I feel like it's one of those things where maybe he set up camp, went to go. I I just think about what I do when I go yeah. out hiking. I set up camp, 
get that squared away, and then I'm going to go get all the things I need to survive in that space. So I might have to trek out to get some water, or yep. fill up some pots or things like that. My guess is he probably had all the right gear, probably knew what, I was, what he was doing. My guess is he went along that trail. So when I look at the trail, I'll yeah. pop it back up on the screen. If you're going to go at a terrible time of year, I'm just tr- trying to think of me. I'm going to do in uh, a hike or an area that is a little bit easier to yeah. do. It's cold. I'm not in it to hike and look at what everything that's going on. When I'm going down a trail in winter, it's like I want to get to where I'm going. It's so beautiful. But like in summer, it's, I want to go long distances. I want to see lots of things, maybe get away from people. I feel like here you could park your car, hike along the trail, and what you're seeing here are, are more service roads. The trails are these smaller lines. Yeah. Those are like the hiking trails. There's a campground that's like right here. And the one thing I noticed is like, look at this. Look at that view of Mount Hood. Yeah. So if I go down an angle, like I would love to set up camp in the middle of winter, see that, just beautiful, like that'd be yeah. awesome. I'm not going to hike tons of miles. Mm-hmm. So what if he sets up camp? There's no one out there because it's a terrible time of year to camp. Yeah. He goes to either get water or something and just can't find his way back. Yeah, but that, now my question is, you'd think you'd find his tent. That hit me kind of after I said it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you didn't say it, I was going to, yeah. yeah, they'd find his stuff. So, right, unless, so that, yeah, maybe he was carrying it all, and he's like, I'm going to go find a spot. Yeah. And got turned I don't around. know. I don't okay. know. Okay. Nope, that blew, that blew it up. And one thing we didn't know is what they found in his car. That didn't come up in any of the research, which oh, would like have been if, interesting. If there was gear in there that like, he left behind. Did he leave his backpack in his car? It doesn't yeah. sound like he did, because I feel like they would have mentioned that. Yeah. But... Um, the more crazy, yeah, I like crazy. Well, I'm, <laughs> I'm thinking more like, um, that like getting almost Hollywood, like of, you know, was it a murder and covered up by someone drove his car out? Like he didn't drive his car. Someone like yeah. set it up and then his family said, you know, he went hiking or he, or somebody, you know, how did he, they know he went hiking. Did he send a text? Yeah, so, I didn't say. So, like, what if somebody killed him, sent the text, said, oh, I'm going for a hike? Because what they said was it was out of character for him just randomly doing it not telling us. Yeah. So, to me, that says either he wants to disappear or somebody wanted him to disappear. And I would love to know, like, did he talk to his family and say, oh, I'm going to go hiking. And yeah. Then, uh, I'm just going to go out hiking tonight. And then just leave? Or was I it a text he, or like an email? I think he told his family on the second that he was heading to Mount Hood. To yeah, camp. but what's tell his family? Group text? Yeah. I, I could write a group text to your family and say, yeah, Mike, uh, hey, I'm, I'm going to be late at work tonight. I'm going to go out to the bar and meet some people afterwards. Yeah. And that's you telling them. And that's kind of where, I, like I said, this there's no evidence of this. This is me speculating entirely. But I'm like, what if something bad happened to him? Uh, a friend or something, an accident, got killed, yeah. and this is how they cover it up. Oh, he does go hiking. This isn't completely out of character for him. I'm going to go camp over here, drive out, park the car there, get out of Dodge, and yeah. then you have the state searching this area for guys not there. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of similar to my foul play, a little twist on it. Instead of him coming across uh, something going on in the parking lot at Frog Lake. That too. He gets dumped there. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, yeah, it could be. I mean, maybe it'll fi- we'll find out that those bone fragments are his remains at some point. When did they discover those again? Uh, it was July of 2019. Okay, so it's kind of recently. Kind of recently, yeah. And there's been times when, and I don't understand it, I'd love to get, we should try and get like an Emmy on here or something to explain like, I feel like sometimes when they're doing that, it takes a long time for them yeah. to 
determine who it is. And then I feel like other times, like, oh, they turn around in like a week. Yeah. I mean, it, it's got to, obviously, we should get someone like that on the show, but it probably just has to do with how weathered the remains are, how much of the remains That's are what left. I'd love to know. Like, do they have to, like, if it's old bones that have been weathered, do they have to dig into the middle of them and find good DNA or what? So Yeah, I don't know. I mean, the easiest Let's try and be, get a medical examiner on that. Yeah, when really you have cool. a full skeletal... Uh, you know, full skeletal remains is the teeth. Yeah. Um, okay. Doing the dental records. Doing the dental records, but um, I would imagine, yeah, they would have to find some DNA left in the bones, and then, you know, let's just assume he doesn't have his DNA sequence. So now, now, what do you do? Do you go and get the DNA of his parents, and then see how much of it matches? I think you'd just use his stuff, though, like his toothbrush or things uh, from his true. house. So yeah, I don't know. Anyone listening, if if you're a medical medical examiner, we'd love to have yeah. you on the show. If you're a medical examiner and not super awkward, yeah, <laughs> we do. Even a, if you are, maybe you could do great. a whole episode on, um, you know, techniques about. It'd be a pretty grisly episode now that I'm thinking about it, but I I think it'd be good. It's though. information be, be really interesting to know about. We should um, also get a bear expert <laughs> to teach us all about bears. We should get bear grills. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we accidentally get bear grills. He teaches us nothing about bears, and then we get yelled at for getting the wrong bear expert. Yeah. We'll get an expert on bear grills by accident. It is funny how many times we've been yelled at about things we've said about bears. I know. <laughs> nothing triggered people more than when we said there were bears in Yosemite or grizzlies. Oh yeah, that or was that, it? Was that Yosemite? I don't know. I don't know. And now I'm afraid to guess. I know. <laughs> It was was it California? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm gonna stop there. Yeah, we're, we're, do- we're done. <laughs> we're done with that for now. <laughs> so I, I honestly, if I'm gonna be real, I'm with you on exposure. Yeah, I think that's however it happened, and it's just so thick it's hard to search, and they probably won't find him. Yeah, my guess is he, just like Kyan, um, or Kian, um, maybe he went off trail and got out of the search zone. I think in this situation, that is really likely because no one, the search and rescue team didn't know what he was doing. They didn't know his yeah, plan. They had no area They to literally search. had no idea what direction he went in. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't take much for him to hike out of the search area. So Yeah. Well, it's, yeah, I mean, odds are it, it's possible they never were in the search area. Who knows? Yeah. So, so yeah, that's all I had, Joe. Yeah, it's, I, <laughs> I think it's, it's, one of those unfortunate ones where it's just too little information and the area is way too thick to search. So, yeah. All right. Well, thanks again for tuning into our show. We appreciate all of you for listening and sharing locations unknown with your friends and family. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. If you have YouTube, we do have the YouTube channels, so you can be sure to lick that subscribe button and show <laughs> us and uh, share that video content as well. Uh, If you want to support the show monetarily, we have the Facebook store. We have the store on our website. You can get some cool swag. Uh, If you feel inclined for additional episodes and other things, such as Patreon-only Zoom calls, you can join our Patreon and donate monthly for as little as a dollar a month. And always remember when enjoying the beauty of nature, whether backpacking, camping, or simply taking a walk, please remember to leave no trace. Thanks, and we will see you all next time.